Hello and welcome to the podcast where we shine a light on the complexities and challenges surrounding the importance of human behaviour on cybersecurity and compliance. That's right, we're talking about people being at the centre of information security and data protection and the challenges of engaging users to create change in their behaviour. This is Beyond the Firewall. Hello, and thank you for joining us for today's show, where we're going to be looking at the reality of securing support from the C-suite for human security. So why is getting buy-in for cyber awareness from the very top so important for success? And what are the main challenges in engaging and maintaining leadership participation? And what tips and tricks can make sure senior management sees the benefit of robust cybersecurity programs within your organization? Joining me, as always, to answer these questions and much, much more is Metacompliance CEO and author of Cybersecurity Awareness for Dummies, Robbie O'Brien. Hello, Robbie. Hi, David. Looking forward to discussing our topic of executive buy-in, as it's so important, but it's fairly difficult to do. I'm also delighted to be chatting here with Todd today. I'm a big fan of Todd's book. It's one of the easiest read cyber security books that I've ever picked up. So I recommend anybody who is looking for a primer, it's the one to go after. Right. Well, let's welcome today's special guest, as Robbie says, author and CISO with more than 20 years of experience in helping tech and fintech companies. Hello to Todd Wade. Hello. Hello. Great to be here and looking forward to a lively discussion. First of all, I think now that Robbie's bigged you up so much, particularly your book, <laughs> tell us a bit about what you do <laughs> and about your book. I am in the um, CISO space. I have been in the CISO cybersecurity technology space for about 20 plus years. And the last five, six years, been an, an interim CISO for numerous organizations, fintechs, techs, doing some cool stuff in the cybersecurity sector. And about two years ago, I had this idea, I said, one of the challenges I am experiencing in the companies I lead is getting security buy-in across the organizations. Mm -hmm. And I found a way to make this more effective is to make it personal to executives. And when I teach executives how to defend themselves and their families, the techniques cyber criminals use, those same methods of defending yourself carry over into the workplace. And I found that it just it was incredibly effective for changing the security posture. And so this is why I wrote my book, Cybercrime, How to Protect Your Business, Your Family, and Yourself, to really draw together all the lessons I've learned mm. and put it in a language for non-technical users to really understand their threat landscape for protecting their business and their family and for themselves. This is where the inspiration came from. This is why it's having an impact for people who've, who've had a chance to read it. And it certainly does seem to be having an impact. It uh, came out a, a few months ago as we're recording, certainly getting some great reviews on certain online book retailers that sell things all the way from A through to Z. So congratulations on that. I know Robbie's got a copy there that he's been thumbing his way through. I'll see if I can get hold of a copy after we've spoken today. But speaking of today, how about we crack on with our conversation? I think we're going to be covering many of those points. I've scribble down, make it personal here. So I'd like to come back to that in a moment. But first of all, Robbie, why is getting the big boss to give a damn about cybersecurity so damn important? And it seems such a challenge. What's behind all of that? In my opinion, if you don't have the big bosses involved, it's not that you're wasting your time, but you've just dealt yourself a dreadful hand. It really is something that requires the whole village to get involved in making change. I always use the oil and gas industry as a, an industry that had to change. And they did this with safety and they did it with zero harm. 
And it took them 30 years to evolve to a point where that's now part of their DNA. The key was that this strategy of safety, the strategy of changing how they did their business came from board level. It came from executives deciding that if they didn't change their their policy on safety and reduce the number of oil spills there was, that they would be legislated to do so in a much more difficult manner than, than they actually addressed it themselves. And then they became a competitive advantage for them. And I, I see very much the same things happening. But I think the transfer, uh, the changeover from it being an IT problem to it being a business problem has got to do with, well, other companies will not deal with you if you have bad cybersecurity hygiene. That will affect revenue. Well, now you've got the attention of the board. So how do you make it of value to the executive team? And this is one of the ways that you keep it front and center of their mind share. So we're talking about motivations there. And when you're talking about the oil and gas industries, and I know you've got a chunk of experience working very closely with those industries, Robbie, it's almost when it becomes an existential motivation. If we don't do this, if we don't, you know, from right from the top, do something about this, then our company is going to fail quite substantially through legislation or whatever. And also selling that business advantage thing as well. Well, come on to kind of some of the measurements around that as well and talking in the language that I know that the management will understand. Todd, what's your take on this about why it is you think that this is such a challenge? If you watch uh, just in the last week, you saw some multi-million dollar pound fines against companies Mm. uh, for having data breaches. This is getting serious. It's not just, you know, them having experiencing, you know, whatever cyber attacks they're experiencing, they're now being threatened. And actually the regulators are going after them for poor cybersecurity practices. This has the attention of the board, of the executive management more than it ever has been. This is a really big risk for any organization, for them to start understanding, hey, this needs to be taken more seriously for them than what maybe they've done in the past. It's not an easy thing to do for, for companies. So we talk about in Europe in particular, but I know that it ripples all the way around the world, GDPR, for example. I know that there are equivalents elsewhere. GDPR was, what, 2018 or something like that. It's not new, yet do you think that it is having the impact with senior leadership that we hoped it might? You know, we're still seeing fines. We're still seeing data breaches. And, you know, you can pick any week in the year and you'll hear about another company getting fined quite substantially somewhere around the world for a a leak or a breach. Is that legislative stick working yet or do the fines need to be larger or do we just need more time for this threat to ripple its way up? I would look what the U.S. is doing. The U.S. is starting to get much more serious about this. And they're like, you know, when when they start getting serious, the SEC particularly is, is looking harder and harder at these. And so just as an example, the SEC is going to require every board of a publicly traded company to have a cybersecurity expert on that board, whether it's a CISO or someone else. Because that's how much they're taking this threat seriously, in addition to a bunch of obviously the big sticks that they're going to carry to bash companies who don't comply. So realizing that you need to do something about this for regulatory purposes or whatever, that's one thing. But then I guess it's the action then that counts. And Robbie, the I guess one of the things is big board realizes, okay, we've got a problem. We've got to do something about it. Let's upgrade our technology. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and that's the big problem that they fall into, that it's defined as a technical issue, when in fact it's 
a change management project. And like every organization is littered with failed change management projects because you have a, a change of leadership and there isn't the appetite. You have a situation where it just dies in the various levels of middle management as you try to you know, push this through the organization. And so if you do treat it as a change management project, then companies can deal with that. They're used to dealing with them. But the IT department or the technical piece of it is a smaller piece. The human aspects, the behavioral science aspects, and, and the way that it's, it's communicated to the greater organization take more stock and are more important. Okay, so yeah, change management, understand that. And, you know, particularly with my UK-centric brain, perhaps the number of large projects in the public sector in particular, as well as in the private, although they're somewhat less well-publicized, particularly for technical projects, it's well, well documented. But the point I'm trying to get at, I think, is how easy it is to go, yes, it's a technology problem, like you say, therefore, let's upgrade the hardware, let's throw some new software at this. But really, it's as much, if not more, of a people problem, Robbie, that I think we need to be talking about upgrading almost. I agree with you completely, David. The issue is that in the past, it's been so easy to invest in perimeter security. Like this whole industry is really in the way it is at the minute about 20 years old, because if you go back to the time of the millennial bug and at that point in time, uh, I'm old enough to be around when that was happening. There was no talk of compliance and no talk of uh, security. It, it, it didn't exist as a thing. So 20 years later, we, we have this brand new situation with new threats, new challenges, much more serious when you bring uh, national players into the picture and the impact for organizations there. So what what is happening is you're, you're constantly having a catch up between what the vectors of malware, the ransomware are doing, and what the actual guys in the organizations trying to, to defend against it. And so the easiest thing is to go buy a device, right? The easiest thing is to put in a piece of technology. But even though we have spent millions on perimeter technology, we don't feel any safer. The key is that because we've been in this sort of bubble, the engagement of the greater employee population is the hardest bit because there are so many other things within the organization that are competing for people's attention. So this has to be another thing. And that's where we come back to the leadership function. They can give priority to certain things. And this is one of the things that they would have to give priority to. And, and I think that's one of the key pieces that you need their help for. I think back to the 90s when I first started out in this career. Oh my word, we were so naive back then, weren't we? <laughs> oh my goodness me. Can't believe that we got away with that sort of naivety. And it, you're right, it's certainly caught up. But, but Todd, this disconnect really between uh, an understanding that something needs to be done and then understanding what needs to be done and then how it needs to be done, that disconnect, that gap is what creates this opportunity for cyber criminals to do what they do. And goodness me, they are certainly getting on and doing it, aren't they? It's worth maybe just thinking about some stats here. 90% of the attacks are human hacks. They're not technical hacks. So humans are going to hack. You're going to encounter compromises. Cyber criminals aren't high tech most of the time. They're low tech. They don't need to be high tech. If they can hack someone through a series of deception techniques, it's so much easier. Why bother? 
to go through the effort. Almost feels like they're just shooting fish in a barrel with some shotgun. It's so easy many times. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about this, it's just so easy for them to hack the humans and not have to worry about circumventing the technical controls. The irony is for security budgets, 90% 90% of our budget goes towards technical controls, not towards human <laughs> controls. So it's a complete reversal of our thinking here. And now the technical controls are needed. However, there's clearly a large gap <laughs> on the thinking here on how we manage the human risk and how we protect uh, individuals and the companies. You both make the case very passionately, very, very clearly to me. You express it very well too. So why do we seem to be in this position where we're in, where there is such a struggle to get an organization as a whole, let alone from the top, to see this and to act in a, a rational way? One of the top things on my mind on answering that question is, When you're running awareness campaigns for companies, some of the worst people to engage are your senior executives. (laughs) And they're the ones who are most targeted. It's like, okay, and and a lot of these executives are like, I'm too busy. I'm too important for the company. I'm going to, I got too many things on my mind and I'm going so fast that I just haven't got time to deal with this. So I'll tell you a story one time. I had had an executive one time, a head of sales who who was indispensable for the company. Like nothing is going to happen to this guy in if there was a phishing link, he clicked on it. It didn't matter. He was <laughs> he was going at it, man. He was he was just nonstop, didn't care. I, I was at a complete loss at how to change this around because we kept on replacing his laptop and he was presenting security risk. He calls me one day. Someone had hacked into his brokerage accounts and siphoned some money off Ooh. on his personal account. Talk about a complete change in attitude. It took that personal impact to hit him and to change. And he was on board after that. It was like just an eye-opener experience where he finally got to experience firsthand what had happened. And so, but you find this across all aboard. And, and if your CEO or managing director isn't on board, Rob was just saying, you're going up a, a real uphill battle because the tone needs to be set from the top. The tone dictates the tone for the company. When they see the executives doing it, then the tone hits it. And the, people understand this is important. But when they see the executives not really paying attention, having poor cybersecurity habits, you know, it, people will watch and learn and, and they're, they're not going to take it as seriously as they should. Robbie, we've spoken about storytelling in the past and the story that Todd told there. It, it strikes me that all the way through my life from school and, and whatever else, we're taught these things, whether it's from the Bible or whatever else, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush and, and whatever it is. And you kind of like, they go in one ear, you hear them, but it's only when something happens to you, it seems that it kind of resonates and it becomes real. It's like, oh gosh, yes, I've just lost this opportunity and I should have grabbed what I had. Maybe a bird in the hand really is worth two in the bush. It's when it strikes home and it becomes real or a story resonates with you. And it seems as though we can't go around creating hacks for everyone within an organization for this to become real, like the exec in Todd's story there when he lost some money on a trading platform and suddenly changed his mind. So what are the ways that we can make this real, can make the threat more immediate such that it can create that change of mind shift and get people moving in a direction when they realize that the threat is real. It's interesting, Todd, giving that example, because I also think there's two types of companies. There are companies who have had a hack and companies who have not had a hack. And the ones that have had a hack, there isn't even a conversation to be had. I mean, it's make sure that never happens here again is the tone of the day. And again, just on the previous question, I know, I know you've asked me another one, but 
For tone, not only do you have to have it that the tone from the top is clear, people have to believe that it isn't going to go away. We're going to keep continually batter this drum until it's absolutely critical for us. And so I suppose making it real, you could take it that if the executives are living and breathing this, if they don't take it seriously, how can you expect workers to? So if they take it seriously and you build it into your performance environment, because I think one of the other aspects of things is when cybersecurity is taken seriously by an executive team, they grapple with the hard problems. That's really where the rubber meets the road. This is a bit controversial because everybody say, oh, all you have to do is, you know, train people. Well, well, yes, but I think the big challenge is that there are so many different types of people, and so many different types of learning styles that people want. Storytelling is fantastic, but the best story is along the lines of there was this worker, they clicked on a fish, they downloaded ransomware, and now they're not worth this anymore. <laughs> you know, like that is a story that is going to... Ooh, I, 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 what happened there? I think as we evolve, I think it's inconceivable that the risk to the business becomes so acute that there isn't personal consequences for failure in that area. Robbie, to your point, cybersecurity isn't just for Christmas, it's every day. <laughs> and then building on that, it's not just Santa who dishes out the presents, it's everybody. Everybody's got a responsibility and you know, kind of landing that back in the point here, it's not just the security department's role to deal with cybersecurity, it's everybody's role. Everybody needs to take responsibility. And Todd, I'll, I'll throw this one to you. I'm going to I'm going to throw the C word at you. Culture. This is one of the things that I think we're talking about here. It's trying to change, create, modify, nudge, whatever it is. I think uh, a culture that everybody does take responsibility every day of the year, not just Santa on Christmas Day. Put a financial consequence in their in their performance valuations. So they're if they have you know you have. One warning, two, three different steps. But at some point, after a certain amount of steps, they will have a, a financial reduction in their bonus. There will be some repercussion and it'd be an escalating series of steps you would tie in to back up what you're saying because you need some way to make this stick. That is a good way to start thinking about this. That sounds like it's a good hint, a good tip. So let's build on that. If somebody listening today, gents, find themselves struggling to get the kind of traction that they would like with a management and they know that more needs to be done, whatever type of organization, what would be your strategies for success? First, frame it as a loss, not as a bonus or a gain. Okay, I think it's important. Do you want to make sure that they feel the loss of something that they would normally have gotten that they're not going to get? So you could have, I'll just use phishing simulations as an example. So you click on your second phishing link, that means, or the first phishing link, you have to go through training. The second phishing link, you have to talk to HR. The third phishing link you click on will reduct in a reduction of some financial consequence to your year-end bonus. I'm just throwing, there's many ways of doing this, but this is a high-level overview mm. to do this. And one of the first things, you know, send them more training. You know, have them go through, teach them how to do it better. You know, give them some opportunities to maybe really they just don't understand how to do it well enough and they don't recognize it well enough. But also, too, I think it's safe to say that anyone on any given day, any of us can fall for efficiency. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to understand that even cyber professionals can fall for it in the right context. And so it's, I think you don't want to be too punitive because we have to keep that in mind, but you also need to 
keep things in check. So there's a balancing act here. I'm thinking of this like my driving license, and I will confess here on the show, I did get flashed by a speed camera in some roadworks late at night. On I was driving into Bristol. I felt wretched at the time, and yes, I, I got sent on some more training. I didn't get any points, but I got sent on some <laughs> on a motorway speed awareness course, and, and that's fine. I hold my hands up to that. This sounds similar to what you're talking about here, the fact that any one of us, any one of us listening, any one of us on the show today, there can be a circumstance where either we're caught unaware or that there's something about the fishing link that just happens to resonate in that moment and we're off balance and and click on it. It really can happen to anyone. So making there to be a pathway where ultimately, yes, there are consequences, but then there are also training, whatever it is to help make sure that ultimately the outcome is a better one makes sense. Robbie, over to you. I mean, I, I know we've spoken about driving licenses and points on your license oh, yeah. in I mean, the past. Because it's an evolution, it's a journey you're taking people on, obviously. I think that in my experience, when you're talking to executive levels, if you have a sympathetic ear, I have seen some CISOs get the CEO or, or indeed a, a smaller subset of the execs agree to bring in some white hat help there and to run a particular project just against your executive team and essentially come up with a it'll give you any weaknesses that that exist there because you definitely really want to know and b you can have a conversation with no names mentioned but i have seen that be really really impactful it requires an organization with some gumption to do that you typically will get an organization post hack to do it no problem so that's the first and it goes back to todd's comment where if you make it real to people real in their lives and that is one of our group or a number of our group have found to be wanting and now we need to fix this because i think the problem with executives is uh, along the lines of it'll never happen here it happens to other people it doesn't happen to us i think the other thing is you have to pick your timing you have to realize that Mm -hmm. this is not as important in the jobs that other people do you can very easily fatigue them i've had the analysts and gartners say oh, you should be sending out a fish every other week and sending out training every month and a policy. And it's clear that that's never going to happen. Like the pushback from an organization to say, stop it, will you? We have our day job as well. So it's trying to find that balance where you are keeping this threat vigilance front of mind, but at the same time, you're engaging with your audience at the times, at the right times in the year that suit them, and in a manner that they find easier, easy to consume. So for me, finding that engagement rhythm, that engagement cadence that matches your organization is imperative. Picking your moment, absolutely. And I just want to pick up a, a point that you made and also something that you said a moment ago, Todd. The language you mentioned, frame it as a loss not a bonus. And I just want to go down that line of conversation for a moment in terms of the type of language that you use to engage with the management. You, there's an element here, is there not, of you need to talk their language. You need to find a way to engage with them in terms that will resonate most with them. Just tell us a little bit more about what we can do there. Yeah, this is an important thing for CISOs or anyone in charge of security departments. You have to frame it in a language that the executive teams will understand. You can't frame it in security terms. Mm -hmm. And they understand losses. They understand risk. They understand probability. They understand how to reduce the risk. If you put it in numbers and languages that they understand and can frame it that way, Like as an example, you could have a a risk that if it were to materialize would cost 2 million pounds. 
And the probability of this happening would be, let's say, 25%. And the cost of mitigated or bringing this risk down to an acceptable level, let's say, is 200,000 pounds. You see, we're, we're talking in a different language. We're not talking, we're not walking in there going, we have the current ransomware attack, whatever this might be in some fancy name and throw a bunch of security metrics at them. Put it in a language where they can actually use the information and make a decision. They can't make a decision on security stats. So give them information so they have the information to make a decision because that's what you're there for. You're there to educate them so they can make a risk-based decision. And this is one of the things we want to do as head of security departments. Okay, so numbers, metrics, some kind of concrete stats here that will enable leadership to make decisions based on something that they that they feel they can trust. The maxim goes, and I've said it a million times, you can't manage something until you can measure it. So what kind of measurements, metrics, hard numbers, can we realistically come up with them with regards to cybersecurity and cybersecurity awareness? What have we got to play with and what role can, Robbie, we're speaking very recently about security frameworks, I say 27001 and all of that sort of stuff. Do they come, and maturity models, do they come into the conversation here as well in terms of giving something tangible, Todd, to help leadership make those decisions? There's a question I get asked a lot by CEOs. Am I being sold a gold-plated security solution? (laughs) (laughs) Because there is no end to how much money you can spend on security. There just isn't. So you have to cut it off somewhere. You have to understand, am I spending it in the right areas? Am I yeah. spending the right amount? What should that be? And this is a question you have to you know, help the company understand, help the CEOs understand and frame it and help them put this in a language so they can make the appropriate risk-based decisions uh, for them. And how to measure it, back to your question, key question on a lot of people's minds. Maturity models are an effective way to measure your program overall. Depending on the industry, I think it matters too. So some metrics might be more important depending on the industry that that you're in. Mm, Things like time to detect, time to recover, stats like this. It really depends too. I think it depends on your business and what what your board and executive team is going to connect with. Because some people might be more visual, some might be more financial oriented. So I think it depends on some factor than which metrics, additional metrics you could look at. Robbie, in terms of awareness. This is the land that you plow regularly. What kind of metrics can you come up with then when it comes to awareness? And how do you think you can use those to create a case? I think where we're going is to try and estimate the risk that is coming from your constituency and maybe break that down. And as Todd said, there are different groupings within that that are much, much more dangerous. So the finance department, the C-level, the uh, privileged users, these people are under constant attack. And so therefore, something that happens there or failures that happen there resonate much, much higher. So being able to measure risk by department, by role, by person, being able then to see how your engagement overall is facing up. So I have seen situations where a manager in a particular department completely defeats an awareness campaign because doesn't get it, would prefer people focus on the day job as opposed to taking training. And so what we need to do is face up, well, that particular department is is not engaging. The users aren't taking the training. And if they don't take the training or they don't look at the policies or fill in the assessments, then you have nothing. So the board wants to know that. The board of directors wants to know, wants you to face up where those risks and where those failings are. And then you really want automatically to put in more training or or go after that. And finally, what I would say is on the risk side, 
and, and align very, very closely with your overall metrics of awareness is your incidence. Because theoretically, over time, as you increase the engagement and increase the levels of vigilance, you should therefore mitigate your risks. And so your incidence should fall off. But also your incidence being able to see clearly, uh, looking back over a 12-month period, what are the real incidents that are happening in your organization? Because that's where your real risks are. It's not what you read. It's not what happened to someone else. It's what is happening to you. And therefore, your awareness aspects and the dialogue with the user base has to reflect what's actually happening on the ground. I think a lot of people, they separate their actual day-to-day incidents from their future training programs where the incidents are maybe kept in a spreadsheet with a red, amber, green. And really that's for a different audience. It's for facing up through the risk department, whereas cybersecurity awareness is going through the motions of dealing with phishing and dealing with ransomware and physical security. And and it's just, well, I have a cybersecurity program, so I'm good. It's a tick box exercise. It's really having to bring those two things together. And again, having the metrics for the board of directors to show that you're actually making progress. One point that I want to ask is we've spoken a lot about senior level engagement and buy-in around financial support, which is great. And obviously to embark on a lot of the programs and uh, uh, bulletproofing of your organization, particularly the human security side, you absolutely need that financial support. But I just want to ask about the other ways in which senior leadership can bring impact to cyber awareness and cyber awareness campaigns within an organization, which doesn't necessarily involve them getting their checkbook out. What are the ways that you've found, Todd, I'll come to you first, leadership to have maximum impact without digging into their pockets too deeply? There's a lot they can do without digging into their pocket. I mean, just an example, when uh, let's say there's a monthly team meeting with the CEO, how the CEO started off with cybersecurity incident mm-hmm. and just have that message. Even that alone says the CEO, hey, I'm, I'm taking this seriously. You know, he or she is talking about something relating to a cyber incident or whatever it might be. That sets the tone. Regular updates from executive management in their meetings that they may have sets the tone. It's not all financial. A lot of this is behavioral and they can do a lot without increasing their budget at all. Robbie, I think without getting out the checkbook, the most valuable thing that they can give a security team is their time. As Todd mm-hmm. said, to be you know physically present, to have it as part of the town halls, have it as part of the overall communications of the organization. And there's lots of organizations that currently lead with the sustainability. If you take ESG, environmental, social, and governance, they lead with the E because it's green and it is attractive to shareholders and prospects. But I think leading with the governance, which where the security lies, also makes people feel better about dealing with the company that you take their data seriously. And so therefore, there's a double-edged benefit there, which is you get the CISO to promote it, and at the same time, it's helping your profile in the marketplace. One of the big easy wins that I've seen is when you're doing your training, you get your leadership team to do a piece to camera, and that begins the training where they're basically saying, listen, guys, this is really important. Take the time to go through this training to the end and implement it in, in your day-to-day workings. That I have seen as being so easy to do, but is a step away from the usual boring training that we as an industry tend to to put out. 
Gents, we've covered a lot of ground and just going over some of the notes that I've scribbled in our conversation about how to ensure that we can get that attention, ongoing attention, financial support, and as Robbie, you said, time investment as well. Make it personal. Coming back to your point right at the top there, Todd, you know, try and make it personal. Frame the conversation in ways in which senior leadership will understand. You know, talk about it in terms of risk and loss, not as that bonus. Speak that language. Uh, understand that uh, one size fits all kind of fits nobody really and, uh, and be prepared to tailor your message. Execs can be far too busy and too important, but that's not a good enough motivations existential business advantage, fines, you know, there are big problems, existential problems, potentially, if organizations don't get this right. And it's only growing. Criminals are only going in one direction as things stand. Anything else that I've missed out on before we wrap up today in terms of final tips, final nuggets of information for anyone who might be struggling to get their management to buy into what they're trying to do? I think it's worth noting. I, I see a lot where people do awareness training and it's a compliance check the box one week a, a year mm-hmm. they think they, they go yeah we're done <laughs> let's go to it it's not you shouldn't look at compliance requirements for awareness training it is a year-long ongoing activity and it should be treated as such because it's it's constantly being out to people's minds it's not a tick the box exercise and i think companies need to be aware of this this needs to be kind of championed that this is not going to stop it's an ongoing activity and it needs to be treated as such so that's just my take, uh, and I'd recommend anyone who's doing programs to think of it in that terms when they're when they're thinking about it. Robbie, final thoughts? I think that there's evolutions, right? And maturity models are a great way to work out where the organization is in its journey. I have never talked to a board of directors who have admitted that they actually were where they really were. Everybody goes, oh, we're three or four. When in <laughs> fact, <laughs> if six is good and one's really poor, if they're sort of out of one into two, trying to get into three, they're probably best practice at the moment because of the effort involved in this and where we are in the overall life cycle. I think that for me, if I was to go to any department in, in the organization, that would be a natural ally, in my opinion, for this, it would be finance. And the reason there is that they understand risk and they understand controls and they deal with that day in, day out. So you're talking the same language right away. But also they themselves are under outrageous threat. And so therefore, if you were going to them and saying, let us come up with something unique to your audience, Mr. Finance, Mr. CFO, Mr. Finance Director, I think you would get a welcome making the friend of the the CISO probably is the easiest thing and, and, and most advantageous that a security professional can do. Make friends with a CISO, I'm sure Todd yeah. would agree with that. Listen, we are out of time for today, but no, thank you. Really enjoyed that conversation. I think we shared a lot of useful stuff. Todd, thank you so much for joining us, especially today. Where can people find out more about the work that you do and maybe find out about your book too? I'm on LinkedIn and the book is available on Amazon. And again, the title is Cybercrime, Protecting Your Business, Your Family, and Yourself. Good stuff. Thank you. And Robbie, I'm sure your book, Cybersecurity Awareness for Dummies, has lots to say about building your business case for management. Absolutely. It's a playbook for people implementing cybersecurity awareness programs. And also that can be got from our website as well. We've got loads of posters. We're constantly updating them. In fact, I'm going to get a new poster on the back of this 
webcast and the new poster is going to be cybersecurity is not just for Christmas. And I think there's going to be puppies in there and hacker symbols. I, I can see it now. So I think we'll get that out in time for Christmas for anybody that's after that. <laughs> and also follow us on Instagram. We're trying to make cybersecurity fun there. So we are. On Instagram as well. Well, oh, wonders yeah. everywhere. There's at least two things I've learned today. Robbie loves a good poster and Metacompliance is on on Instagram, right? Listen, with that, Todd, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much. And you too, Robbie. Thanks very much, David. Bye-bye for now.